Welcome to the Open House Podcast. This podcast is about conversations that we have in the gym. Everything from training methods, technique, massage, and other odd topics come up. So subscribe, leave a review, whatever your platform lets you do. Today, we've got George and Tyree here today. What's up, guys? Hey, how's it going? Oh, oh man, he saved it. Hey, you know, I, I drank one of those things last or yesterday around 3.30. And I could not go to sleep to like almost midnight. I was like, holy crap, I'm never drinking a bang again. I mean, that gave you opportunity to be productive. That's what I heard. You had a lot of time that you could have been very productive. I wake up yeah. early, Tyree. I don't need any extra time. <laughs> what what time still- is early for you? Because now you're not in the military anymore. What what time are you still waking up at? Six. Mm, uh, that's fine. That's, that's fine. That's I, I my alarm is set for seven, but I very rarely sleep till my alarm. So I'm normally up around six. All right, so this reminds me of kind of a an odd story. So I used to, uh, there was a kid who was younger than me, and he used to train with us, and uh, he was doing wrestling with us. Um, and I don't think he ever competed in powerlifting, but uh, he was kind of a goofy kid, and we uh, we were hanging out with him one time, and we were talking about what time he goes to sleep. And this is a kid in high school. So we were like seniors and he was a freshman in high school. And he's like, oh, yeah, I usually stay up to like three. Yeah. Um, and then he like wakes up at like six or seven and then goes to school. And uh, Sounds we just right. like couldn't believe it. Like he just didn't sleep that much. And he had he had like a lot of energy. I don't know if he like slept in class or whatever. And then we we're like, what do you do? And he's just like, what do you mean? What do I do? There's so many things to do. This dude... <laughs> This dude was training to become a clown. He was straight up like practicing uh, juggling and like unicycles and like just like crazy stuff like that until like three in the morning. <laughs> Man, you'll find a way to you'll find a way to kill time. Man, you'll he was good at it. It he was would, like it was he, a full time uh, job. <laughs> he tried to teach us how to do the unicycle, and those things are kind of hard. A lot harder than uh, than I expected. He was but he was like hours a week at night doing this. That's <laughs> unicycling and like juggling with it, you know, while unicycling. It was crazy. Um, kids still don't but, sleep. Yeah, the, the kid went to college. Tell me they don't sleep. Oh, yes. And he uh, he went the opposite route. He got into uh, he went to App State. Um, so then he just got into like smoking weed and sleeping all the time. You know, I think he he used up all of his. Uh, wakeful hours for the next like decade (laughs) yeah i never understood like i when i was in high school i didn't i didn't go to sleep early i would go sleep at like one wake up at 5 36 and that was fine and now the kids are telling me oh yeah i'm up till two three and then like the wrestling team here the wrestling team at university high school during season they'll lift before school so they're in the gym at 6 a.m so they're waking up at five and they're they're up until two three in the morning and they're, yeah, they're I, was perfectly gonna, I was gonna say i never really enjoyed sleep until i joined the army and then when you have to wake up every other hour every two hours you're like fuck man when i get home i'm definitely sleeping 12 hours straight you don't appreciate it till it's gone that's yeah that's it yeah that's rough yeah i uh i sleep a lot um, 
I slept a lot. I used to uh, I used to wake up around five, and then I'd go to work, and then I'd go to school, and then I'd go to either like training or wrestling or sports practice, and then I'd get home and I eat dinner, and then I'd be like out by like nine o'clock. I'd I mean, just be I'm, done. You get used to it though, because remember when I was in Charlotte when I was working at CrossFit South Charlotte, CrossFit S three, and I had the morning classes at S three, but I was in I was at South Charlotte until like. 8 p.m. So I wouldn't go to sleep until like 10 and I had to wake up at 3.40 to go coach CrossFit at S3 in the morning. Great. This was every other day. So every other day I had to wake up Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I had to wake up at 3.40. And yeah, I so every other day you get in less than six hours. Yeah, I got, I got used to it. I wasn't, it never bothered me. Well, the first, the first like two weeks, it was rough. And then after that, it was all right, wake up, coach CrossFit at S3. Then go to Howe from ten to twelve, then left after, then go to South Charlotte from three to eight, and it, you you get used to it. I was never tired. Well, now that you're at West Virginia, are you sleeping more? No, and Lindsey Stroker told me to sleep more, but now it's not like I don't have the opportunity. I just I just wake up, I'll lay down at ten, ten eleven. I'm in bed, and I'm waking up at six. Five six. Like it just if I go if I go to sleep at ten, I'm gonna be up at five. Yeah, so that's reasonable, like seven hours. That's pretty good. Yeah, so that's better than five and a half. Um, I'm also not sleeping straight through either. I'm waking up randomly at two o'clock, and then it's not good consistency. Mm, yeah, so we need to work on your sleep. Um, I will say that uh, you know sleep has a lot more to do with weightlifting than you think it does. So even probably another extra hour and a half, three times a week is probably helping out your weightlifting. I'll say, uh, shockingly, my body's still burning a lot at night. So I'm, I'm glad you did that podcast with Dane Miller before. That was a, I learned a lot on that podcast. So what last night I lost uh, 1.3 kilos in my sleep. So it's back up for a while. I got down and I was losing like 0.6. But now I'm back up to losing between 1.2 to 1.6 a night. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting metric to uh, to track is how much weight you're losing per night. Um, not something that uh, that you would necessarily think of. Yeah, I was going to say, normally like your heart rate, what's your average heart rate when you're sleeping? That lets you know if you're recovering well or not. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've tried to sleep with my watch on and I just, I can't stand it. So I, I never sleep with my watch on. Amanda does and she gets all those numbers and it seems really interesting. And the couple of times I tried it, I just keep laying on it and hitting it. And I just take it off in the middle of the night. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not a watch person. Uh, but so speaking of bad sleep, um, it's been really nice here near Charlotte and, uh, my kids wanted to go camping. So we've been camping in the backyard for the past two nights. <laughs> yep. So I haven't been sleeping great. Uh, but it was supposed to rain this morning. I was actually a little late getting here because I looked at the, uh, looked at the weather and it's like, Oh, it's going to rain. So then we had to rush to take all of the tent stuff down. Um, but, uh, that gives you some appreciation for your bed because tonight I better sleep good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, they uh, my uh, my kids like uh, they they heard that I went on like a camping trip, and they're like, "Oh, we want to go camping." And so, luckily, just going in the backyard is enough for them. But um, they are not ready for a camping trip. I'll tell you, I'll give them that. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for that age, but uh, you know, five, seven, maybe, but five, nope, he's too young for like a real camping trip. But uh, one of these days, I'll get them out there on a real camping trip. But right now, their sleep is too important um, for my sanity. <laughs> so, we'll, oh, uh, yeah. Sleep is important. So that uh, there's kind of like a almost an unrelated thing to weightlifting, but kind of related sleep. Uh, what else is going on in the world of weightlifting? We've got uh, we've got Masters Nationals coming up on the uh, on the 23rd. Um, I think that's in Utah. So uh, like Salt Lake City. So Masters Nationals voted to not be directly controlled by USA weightlifting. So they're still in their own like system. Um, but, uh, house of weightlifting has got one guy going out there. Uh, Donnie Bigham is a, uh, as an 81. So that should be pretty fun. Let's say, what about Carl? Uh, Carl is going to masters Pan Ams. Oh, okay. And that's, that's uh, something. All right. That's like another month or so away, I think. Um, that's a little bit further away. That one fifteen pause jerk looked good the uh, the other day from him. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's got some motivation in training right now, and uh, he's been training hard. Yeah, he hit a couple little like odd injuries, but now like he's going after it, and he's uh, he's inching those numbers up pretty good. I think everybody's jerking really well right now. I mean. Everybody on the team's doing well with jerks. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the really the main thing that we focused is we just put jerks first, just to give that a little bit more emphasis. And uh, you know what? I this is a question I wasn't sure about because um, we were talking about what exercise you do first in a training session tends to get the best training effect because you have the most mental attention and you know physical effort that you can put into it because you're fresh. Um, but how about stretching? So we had one guy where it's like his, uh, his left glute was significantly tighter than the right. And, you know, I was just like, Oh yeah, just stretch the left one first. And he's like, Oh, does that make it better? And then I was like, you know what? I don't know. So my theory was, uh, you know, by stretching the left one first, you're actually putting your intent in it and you're, you're paying attention to the stretch. And then by the time you get to the right one, you're already tired of stretching and you quit. Um, so that, uh, <laughs> that's the only reason I could think of stretching the tighter side first, but I don't know if there's any actually like scientific reasoning behind stretching it, one side before the other. Thinking with stretching, I'm not sure. I purposely like t today, I told you I was stretching for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes this morning. I'll set a clock that way I make sure I'm balanced and do 90 seconds here, 90 seconds there. So I try to stay even with that. But if we're doing like accessory work, like the ATG split squats the other day, um, I always tell people to do their bad side first. Um, whether it's dumbbell, like single arm dumbbell bench or anything, I always say do your bad side first. That way mm -hmm. you're not doing your bad side while you're fatigued from just doing 10 more reps. Like if that's your bad side, it's going to suck either way. Do it first when you're ready for your your 
not exhausted already, do the bad side first, and then you can go to the good side. Though you can put everything into fixing your bad side first. So I guess with stretching, I never thought about it that way. But I would say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. maybe it's some intent. With stretching, I feel like I only really feel a difference with like doing one side or the other first. If I'm using like a um, like a lacrosse ball or something before I stretch it, just to try to help loosen up a little bit more, then I feel a little bit of a difference. But I would still probably do the tighter side first. I think it's like you were saying, it's more of a mental thing. Hmm. Yeah, tricking yourself into uh, actually putting enough time to actually make a difference. Uh, I used to stretch before lifting more years ago. Um, I used to stretch before lifting and then I started watching, what was it? I think it was ATG. It wasn't hooker. Then the ATG videos showed all the lifters. Yeah, it was at the 2015 world. So it was ATG and they showed all the lifters stretching after their session. So then I started stretching after the session and then I just kind of stopped stretching. Then, then it became a thing like, Oh, I'm, I'm bored and I have time or I'm watching something on Netflix. Let's sit on the floor and stretch for 40 minutes since I'm going to be sitting here anyway. So that's what my stretching went to. Yeah, that's a good question. So which would you prefer your athletes to stretch after or before? Um, Okay. So it it depends on who, who they are and what their issue is. Um, For me, since I don't have any mobility restrictions, I, I would say go ahead and do it just get it in at some point in the week. I don't care if you do it before or after, cause it's not like it's hindering anything, but if you're somebody who struggles to get your arms overhead or you struggle to get into a good bottom position, I would have them do it honestly before and after do a little bit before do twice as much after, but that's, that's also why I just stopped stretching cause I'm mobile enough and flexible enough to where I don't, it's not like it hinders me in weightlifting. So, uh, yeah, so that's an easy trap to get to 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 fall in because it's uh you know stretching will help increase flexibility, but just the act of stretching actually has some recovery benefits that will uh, help you in the long run. Uh, also, the different. Uh, let me ask you this, George what uh, what type of stretching are you talking about before? Uh, if it's before, probably more of an active stretch, and then afterwards, I would probably talk about more of passive stretching. But then also, um, huge believer in the stretch under load after like doing a lot of more research on stretching. So like, I think, um, I'd be more comfortable with just doing like dynamic warm up and then using the actual workout to help stretch those positions and then do passive stretching afterwards. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree with that. Stretching under load does, you know, it, it works. I remember when I was in college. And uh, my professor couldn't answer this question because he was like, oh, the the research says that, you know, because they were talking about gymnasts and they were talking about, you know, how they like push people into stretches. And then they were like, oh, and the research shows that that doesn't work. And then I then I looked at him. So then I was like, so then why are they so flexible? Like, then why are gymnasts more flexible than me? And they do that. And they were trying to be like, oh, it's in spite of that which I don't necessarily believe, um, you know, it might not be like textbook, uh, exact and it might not be healthy. Um, but gymnasts are definitely more flexible and they do those like, you know, forced stretches. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's kind of hard to like, 
you know, get that exact, uh, that exact idea because, you know, weightlifters, you know, we're pretty flexible and it's because we get pushed down to the bottom of a squat with a, with a load, you know, it's like a, it's a forced thing. You know, that's one of the big stretches that Glenn used to always do is he would literally like, um, someone would get into like an overhead squat with like a, a wooden dowel or a PVC pipe or something. And then he would stand behind them and he would push their hips down and then he would pull the bar up and back and kind of open up the shoulders. It's kind of a hard to uh, visualize just by describing it, but it's, uh, it really stretched out that like snatch position and it was like a force to stretch. And then it was like an immediate thing. Like, all right, I just got full depth right there and that feels significantly better. Um, so I don't know there, uh, I guess I have conflicting views. There's the difference between, you know, exactly what, um, this is old research. This is when I was in college, but, uh, what that research says and kind of what actually happens in reality and, uh, those loaded and forced stretching, you know, I think it works. So what have you, uh, what have you been reading about, um, loaded stretches, George? So I started to look at it after I seen, um, what's his name? Andrew, the physical therapist guy that was on the podcast with us. He had posted, on Steagleman. The, yeah, Steagleman. He had posted on his Instagram talking about that he doesn't really ever stretch. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, not at all is what I was thinking in my head. So then I started to look at the Lotus stretch, like Lotus stretches under load. And then um, basically what it was saying was since there's so much added weight, from, well, it was one of the blogs I read. It's not like an actual article or anything like that. But it was basically saying from all the weight that you have loaded on you, you can get the same benefits as like holding a 30 second stretch in that one to two seconds that you're actually in the bottom of the load just because you're bearing so much extra weight. And then um, for the lin- for the ligaments and tendons, they get stronger under load and that's the only way for them to get stronger. And they're all about elact- elasticity. So in order to get them stronger, you have to hit those full ranges of motion with significant amount of load, which then in return increases the range of motion. Yep. I could, I could see that. Um, yeah, there's definitely some, some things that hint towards that. Um, one being like weightlifters tend to have like tendons that are like super thick compared to other athletes. Um, just because of the nature of, you know, catching bounces with heavy loads, um, and training the tendons and everything. Um, and that was one thing that Louis Simmons used to always talk about was like doing things like to help tendons and, he would have people do, uh, I think he used to be like seated, seated band hamstring curls and he'd have them sit there and do them like super fast and be like, oh, this is for the tendon. And I never really like understood that because, you know, I didn't feel it in my tendons. I felt it in the muscle. I was like, all right, whatever. Like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it can, I guess it can kind of make some sense there because you're getting that elasticity, that speed, that change of direction. It's just more of a more uh stimulus on the tendons whereas like a like a down in three seconds up in three seconds is definitely like working the muscle belly um and that uh that that happens to some power lifters too because they just get uh, they take drugs and they get so strong and they just do power lifting and it's just slow and controlled and then uh, the muscles get stronger than the tendons can handle and then that's when you know they uh they pop and then the bicep rolls up or, you know, the pec tears off. 
I think that's why it happens in drugged powerlifting. I'm sure it has something to do with the hormones as well, because you're kind of messing with your hormone balance when you're taking some uh, some performance enhancing drugs. But uh, yeah, so there's some interesting things. So we'll kind of bring that around full circle. We've got uh, you know static stretching, which is shown in research to decrease power output by like 10%. So you know, in a power sport. You know, I he, weightlifting is not as much of a power sport as let's just say like a hundred meter sprint or like a high jump. Um, I have a so, very controversial statement after that. Go ahead, go ahead. I'll finish this. And then I have a very got. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious now. Let's let's hear it. You can't just like make a statement like that and uh, and save it for later. So uh, I, let's hear it, Terry. I said this to. I had this conversation with Amanda and Wes separately. Um, and when I said it, I knew so West was a, an athlete on West Virginia weightlifting. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he's finishing up his master's now and he's going to get his doctorate at ETSU next year. Well, next semester, I guess we're at the end of it now. So it's fun. And I'll say random things and he's smart enough to where he'll say like, yeah, no, that, no, that makes no sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with this one, I was thinking about, and I'll explain it first. I was, I said, weightlifting isn't a strength sport. Weightlifting is a sport because right, right. I understand how, how wild that sounds, but there is a minimum strength requirement to be good at every sport. There's a minimum strength requirement to be good at basketball. There's a minimum strength requirement to be good at football. And that changes with the level you're at. So when you have a third grader, the minimum for a kid to be a good third grade basketball player, we're not asking him to take a three point shot. That's not the strength requirement yet. He's not even shooting from the free throwing line yet. They have them slid up. But when you get to middle school, you are shooting from the free throw line. The minimum strength requirement has increased because of the level that you're at now. You're in high school. Yeah, you should be strong enough to shoot from the three point line. The level that you went increased there. You went up a level. The minimum strength requirement increased. So now you need to be a little stronger. With weightlifting, there is a minimum strength requirement for you to go to AO series, nationals, worlds. Once people get that minimum strength requirement, good. Now you need to work on the skill of the sport. Cool, you're strong enough to shoot from the free throw line, but you're still shooting with two hands. Fix the skill rather than saying, I just need to be stronger so I can shoot it from half court. You don't know how to shoot. And in weightlifting, everybody wants to get stronger and stronger cool, you're back squatting 300 kilos and you're not cleaning 150, I don't care. That's not beneficial anymore because you surpass the minimum strength requirement, but you never develop the skill. So, so what do you base your competition lifts off of? What do you mean? What do you base your, what do you mean? So your competition lifts will always be a percentage of what lifts? Of your, of your strength lifts. They're, they're always going strength. to be so of, of your yes. sport. In order to uh, drive those numbers, you still have to prioritize strength training. And basketball, yeah, no, and you, you, you can't yeah. really argue basketball to weightlifting because basketball is more of a technical proficiency sport. So, like, yes, those guys do weighted training, but their weighted training is a whole lot different. Weightlifting should be a technical proficiency sport. No, it definitely is. But at the same Compared time, hard, so basketball's technique isn't based off of their strength level, in a sense. Compared to weightlifting, in order to have good technique at heavier loads, you're going to have to have strong lifts to base them off of. Or you're you're not going to go anywhere. Watch, watch middle school, watch middle school girls shoot a basketball. 
most of them are shooting from here and they're pushing because they're not strong enough to go from here yet or to go from above the head with the wrist yet. So they're pushing from the chest because they don't have the strength yet. So it's changing the way that they do the movement. You watch a kid shoot a basketball and they're having to push it and shoot the shot completely different because they don't have that minimum strength requirement. Now, I, this is, I'm well aware that weightlifting is like, you need to be strong. I, I just thought about this one day because I feel like people don't prioritize the skill of weightlifting as much as they do the, I want to back squat 300 kilos and then I'll be good. Well, Max ate a front squat at 272 and he couldn't clean and jerk more than 180. So, and he's he talked about that about how he got, the- right. Yeah, no. And he's talked about that, how like he did all this stuff and everything that he did to get that ridiculous strength was in a detriment to his weightlifting and everything else went, went to the wayside. But where is that line for weightlifting that I don't think people, it's not powerlifting. And I think people think too much about how they want to back squat 300 kilos or they want to back squat 250 kilos, which is good. But if you're at nationals as a, let's say a, a 96 kilo lifter, yeah, 250 kilo back squat, you're, you're probably going to be around there to go to nationals as a 96 kilo lifter. Once you have that, if, if you're not clean and jerking over 180, we have another issue. And now we need to look at the skill rather than the strength because the strength is no longer what's holding you back. You've reached the minimum strength requirement. Now you're being held back by your skill. So uh, I've, I've got two things to say about that. Said it was um, controversial. <laughs> uh, w- uh, one, I, uh, I meet the minimum strength requirement to play basketball. And I, I can say with great confidence that most of those middle school basketball players are better at basketball than me. Um, so there's a, there's that, uh, there's that anecdotal argument there. That's as far as I'll take that one. Uh, but then, uh, so, you know, those like Russian percentage things, um, the Russians were kind of the first ones to do it. And they were like, all right, you're, you know, Front squat should be 87 to 91% of your back squat. Your clean should be like 90% of your front squat. Uh, Your snatch should be like 66% of your back squat, all that kind of stuff. Um, And they kind of use that from a wide variety of um, people to kind of get those kind of averages. But if you really wanted to like dial that in, you could make a percentage chart for each individual athlete and or each different like body type of athlete, because you'll see people that, um, you know, it depends on what you're measuring. Um, yeah. Let's say you get Amanda versus me and she's built so much different that her percentages are not going to be like mine. So uh, that makes sense. If Yeah. So you get the, you get the anthropometrics, which is how they're built. And you could also start even looking into, uh, you know, how much power development they have. I don't know if anyone's actually ever done this, but, you know, somebody that's not as powerful, like let's say, you know, you're uh, like, let's say, let's just use you two. I'm going to make up numbers for you. You're both 81s. You're both totaling about the same. So it's a, it's a fairly good comparison. Um, well, let's just try to stick with the real numbers. You guys know what your vertical jump is? Do not. <laughs> 34. All right, so let's just say, but it was thirty-four. Let's uh, 
let's just go um let's just say yours is 34 tyree and which it is uh, and george let's just say you're like way down at 29 so you would say tyree is more explosive um but at the same time george's squat is higher than tyree's um so he has more strength and tyree might have a little bit more power um in that situation the percentages are going to be a little bit different because you know you know, power has more to do with snatch than strength does. So George's percentages on snatch would be a little bit lower. So he might, you know, the right percentage for him would be, you know, 64% of his back squat, where for you, it might be a little bit higher because you're a little bit more powerful. Um, Speed lets you get away with more things in the snatch. So your percentage might be up to like 67. Um, And I wonder if there's like a correlation between those percentages and like, you know, different things like like vertical leap and uh, just like the general tests that they use for strength versus power and stuff like that. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense. Um, but isn't that why we look at rate of force development? I mean, like it's, it's similar to that. Like that's, that's why rate of force development is beneficial to look at. I mean, George's rate of force development is way better than mine. His is way higher than mine. Granted, mine is disgustingly low. When we tested um, at West Virginia, I'm trying to think who I beat because it was almost no one. Like, yeah, my my rate of force development was significantly lower than everyone else's, which was interesting to look at because I didn't realize it was that bad. But then you look yeah. at my clean and it, uh, I mean, I'm, so- I am slow off the floor. I am slow the whole time. I survive because I, I just get under the bar at the last second. Yeah. So they, they test that by like holding the isometric bar, what in like the power position or something. Yep. Yeah. And then they, you're standing on some force plates and you're pulling max effort with some straps on to see, um, like, I guess your max, uh, isometric strength mm-hmm. or, uh, um, rate of force development. So you're just looking at how long it takes you to get up to the peak or you, cause you're also measuring your, like, uh, your peak, uh, you're measuring a few different things in that scenario, yeah, right? There's, there's a bunch of things that were measured. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the window that we measured the rate of force development in because depending on how big the window was like that, that changes. I think it was, uh, I think it was 0.25 of a second. Yes, it was pretty short. Right, yeah, it was it was quick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember what the window was. I might be screwing that number up a bunch. But, but still, it, like it's not like it, you're pulling for 15 seconds. Um right. well yeah, we we were we would pull for what people probably pull for four seconds. Yeah. So the uh I mean I don't measure that because I don't have those force plates or that, uh, <laughs> that's that stuff. But yeah, that is a, that could be an interesting, um, metric. You can see it that. though. When you look at George and I, I can, I can look at him and see his rate of force developments way better than mine. Um, George's oh. is way better than mine. Um, I've got to be better than Carlo though. Carlo, <laughs> mine's probably <laughs> better than Carlo, <laughs> but that you just watch them that you can, because I guess we're also far enough apart to where you can kind of see it when we, if all of us take a 150 clean, George's is going to fly. 
mine is going to move and Carlo is going to look like a dead stop until he gets to the hip and then he just flicks it. All right. This is going to bring Carlo back to weightlifting. You just called him out. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. He's been doing like he's been doing it like once a week and then doing like strength work. I think he's going to hear this and he's being like I'm going to get my rate of force development kind of right, through the I roof. I tagged him too in that uh, thing I threw in the group yesterday because I want to know who's going to be first to jerk 170. Because jerks feel – I always like jerks. They feel like they're going pretty well for me. Since I normally don't screw up jerks in competition, I don't normally get jerks like in blocks like this. So uh, I'm feeling good with jerks. And if I can hit 170, that means – George and Carlo can, and Matt can. Matt just hit 160. So one of us will hit it pretty soon. Yep. Yep. I hope so. Yeah, I wasn't going to get into your uh, shenanigans in the group chat yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, I'm learning the process of falling in love with training again because I tweaked my bicep and I was a little frustrated there for a minute. And now I'm getting back in the groove again. And I'm like, all right, I'm enjoying training now. I don't want to hop in these shenanigans and start to get frustrated if I don't hit it first. <laughs> I will say these imams recently have been really, really nice. Like I, I have enjoyed the imams because what the jerks, I went up to 114 yesterday. It wasn't heavy, but it was just fun to do jerks because they all felt good. It was the same thing with the snatch earlier in the week. It's light enough to where it feels good. Everything's moving. I feel like I know how to weight lift. It just, it felt mm-hmm. good. And as soon as I started that imam, that's when I threw that message in like, Hey guys, like, Who's, who's going to jerk 170? And after I did that, one of the guys at the gym, when I pushed jerk the last rep, he yelled, "The re- oh, why haven't you jerked 170 yet? It's like, well, you know, I just, I literally just said something about that. So it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I, I've enjoyed uh, switching deload weeks to like speed weeks like this. I got that from, uh, from Will Fleming uh, because it, uh, it makes you feel a little bit better when you're on deload week. You're like, Oh, thank God it's deload week. And everything still feels heavy. Um, but if it's speed week, it's still lighter, but you're, you're putting more intent in it. Uh, and it's a, you just start feeling good. So I kind of, I kind of like that, that idea of speed week instead of deload week. Um, one of the, at the, NSCA on right now. at the NSCA conference a couple of weeks ago, one of the speakers, I think it was, I think it was Clyde Brewer um, said something about that. And I, I liked that. I just, I never viewed it like that. He was speaking about deload weeks. He said, part of the reason we do a deload is for speed. We want athletes to be exposed to different speeds. We don't want them to always be slow. We want them to be exposed to different speeds that deload, they're going to move at a higher velocity. And it was just, I never thought about it like that. And when you said speed, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that's, that's what this week is. We're being exposed to different velocities. And it was interesting hearing him say that because I just never thought about it in that way about exposing people to different speeds throughout training or in a deload week. I'd never viewed a deload week as a speed week, but it makes sense. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah. That's the interesting thing about all these like velocity, uh, stuff coming out is that, uh, there's a few other little changes that you can make, even if that's just like a mental change. Um, I think it, uh, I think it does make a difference. Um, just that, that mindset change. Cause you're feeling fresh. Anytime you're feeling better is always, you know, that's good. Um, so I did want to come back even around full circle cause we got, uh, we got distracted by the, the power development 
in weightlifting um, not being a strength sport. Uh, yes, yeah, so please don't come at my neck when everybody in the world hears this. I, I understand that strength is very important and that it is. I was just trying mm. to say that the skill is very important too. And there's just a, yeah. another way to look at it. This weightlifting is a strength sport. I understand weightlifting is a strength sport. I think we're going to title this uh, podcast something about like, what did Tyree say? Or like Tyree <laughs> says you don't need to be strong. Yeah. We're just going to throw you under the bus, Tyree. Sorry. Uh, you, uh, you, you asked for that one. Yeah, uh, makes sense. <laughs> uh, but back to stretching. Um, so weight, uh, like the vertical jump is your explosive, you know, your power. Um, and then, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, your strength is, is your squat. Um, and what we were talking about is, uh, you know, oh, the, how your anthropometrics, like your body proportions could change your percentages of what you should hit, like your best snatch off of your back squat, you know, also how explosive you are should change that. And it's probably different for snatch and clean. If you're, uh, and in that same respect, if you're a little bit slower, but you're a lot stronger, uh, you'll probably tend to have a higher percentage on the clean. Um, I don't know. That's just a, a random guess because, you know, the clean is a little bit more strength dependent, uh, at least compared to the power athlete. Um, cause you can get away with more on a clean than you can, uh, if you're strong, um, if you're fast on a clean, you get under the bar and then it just still buries you if you're weak, um, <clears throat> strength, uh, no, <laughs> And, uh, then, uh, then I am a pretty firm believer that jerk is, has a lot to do with, uh, with, with technique and, uh, yeah, I guess I would say a little bit more of that elasticity as well. Um, but I would say technique and rhythm have a lot more to do with the jerk than, you know, the, the snatch and the clean are the two obvious ones, like the snatch being the, the power one and the clean being the, the, the more strength dependent one. So, uh you know, what you need to do, like, like static stretching for the snatch is, um, you need to be able to get into position. And if you can get into position with some dynamic stretching, you know, that's, that's ideal. Um, but like if for some reason you can't get into position with just dynamic lifting and you have to do some like static stretching, um, you know, keeping it to like short static stretches. So like less than 15 seconds, if you can, um, or even just like snatch, you're not going to be like limited by the bottom of the squat. So just stretching and sitting down at the bottom of the squat to help open up stuff. Um, and also there's some interesting things with the snatch is that, um, your pecs and your internal rotators are not going to play a major role in like power development. So you can static stretch those because they don't need to be fast. They just need to be open. So like static stretching those muscles before, if you lose power development in your pecs, you know, it has no effect really on your snatch. It might even help. Um, so, you know, that's the other thing too, is like people that are doing like max effort deadlifts, they can do static stretching on their hip flexors on the psoas, not the quad, but the psoas. And they, uh, they tend to, you know, they don't fight their psoas quite as much as they're deadlifting on max effort. So there's certain ways that you can static stretch, but, um, you know, for the most part, you know, some dynamic stretching and then static stretching post-training is the way to go. Yeah, I would say that uh, foam roller peg stretch 
uh, what's the actual name of that? The one that you have us do for the warm up? Oh yeah. So when we like lay on our back on the foam roller and the foam roller is like parallel to the spine. Yep. Um, I yeah. don't know the actual name, but I'll say that one is a good one if you're going to add it to the warm up to help open everything up for snatching. I feel like and jerks too. Yep. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite ones. Um, what was your warm up like, James? <clears throat> uh, like, let's say you had a heavy snatch day. What are you doing right before? Because I, I feel like all three of us do completely different things, which I mean makes sense. But I just I'm curious, what was your warm up when you were at your best? So when I was younger, it was grab a bar and start snatching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. And and like maybe I'd stay at forty kilos until it's fresh. So like the day that I snatched one sixty. It's like I did singles from the bar all the way up to 160, and that was it. I didn't do anything. I didn't do any other warm-ups. It was just Jesus like Christ. I was at my house, at my apartment then, and I was like, I think I'm going to snatch 160 today. So then I went to the gym, <laughs> and man. then I snatched 160. Um, and then that was it. Like there was no like <laughs> there was no bike ride or anything like that. There was no stretching. It was just grabbing a bar, doing some squats, Um putting it overhead, doing some snatches. And then, you know, I, I remember the jumps. It was, it was bar 40, 60, 80, 100, 20, 40, 50, 60. And then that was it. And, uh, now that I, when I got older, I had to do more. Um, I will say every time but I, I was also, it gets longer. Yeah. I also trained that morning as well though. So when you're doing two a days, things are a little bit different. Um, yeah, I was just about to say that. I was going to say, like, typically my morning warm-up is a lot longer where I'm taking a little bit slower. I'm getting on the salt bike. I'm doing some, like, bandit or maybe, like, the crossover symmetry to help warm and loose everything up. Or, like, some core work, like the uh, pill-off press or, like, the four core stretches that you gave me. Yeah. And then by the time I go back in the evening, it's, like, grab the bar, move around with the bar, and I'm good to go. Yeah. And I I cannot remember what I hit. Or sorry, I can't remember what I did that morning when I snatched 160. Um, but yeah, usually those mornings are a little bit more, you know, moving around, getting things, getting things mobile. So I'm not doing two a days, um, but most of the time I lift in the morning. And what I've been doing is like a 30 cal, not sprint, but a quick 30 cals on the Concept 2 bike, which is just straight legs. So that takes about two minutes, 30 cows on the bike. I'll skip around for about three minutes and then I do some single leg step ups on a lower box and then some handstand walks and some box squats, like on a lower box, just getting into the squat position. Most of my warm up is getting my quads to feel good. Once my quads feel good, I'm normally fine. Like the overhead that I'll, snatch because uh, i also start muscle snatching so i'll muscle snatch and snatch 50 kilos until i feel good and then i'll start going so most of mine is just the quick bite get the quads to feel good the step ups make sure the knees are feeling good and then handstand walks just so i i'm not all lower body start doing some handstand walks load the shoulder some and then go for it that takes 10 minutes total yeah, that sounds like a good warm up. You can do too much, um, where it just starts interfering with your training. Um, but yeah, that sounds about what I 
give a lot of people now is, you know, they just get on the bike for about five minutes, kind of slow pace. They're not going hard. And then the crossover symmetry. And then the rest is like bar work, unless there's something specific like that foam roller pec stretch or, you know, some like hip internal rotation drills. Um, but for the most part, if there's not anything specific, you know, just those two things should be enough. And then actually just you know, doing the movement with the bar. Yeah, I will say my warm up in the morning is probably a little bit longer than it should be just because um, I'm not really deliberate warming up in the morning and just doing a little bit of extra um, if there's like something that's bothering me. Because uh, most of the time the morning sessions like technical work or like getting into positions and just holding them and kind of stretching out like with the close grip snatches or like the close grip overhead squats. But in the mm -hmm. evening time when it's time to like actually put on some intensity or like some speed or volume and stuff like that, the warm up is just like the bar or maybe like five minutes on the bike and then the bar, but nothing else, nothing more than that. I'm saying my warm up was longer when I was at how um, I think part of it is because now it's I coach a CrossFit class and then I immediately start lifting after. So I'm kind of like trying to rush into the warm up. Most of the time the people are, there's a group that lifts in the morning and they're getting there when I'm coaching class. So I try to rush through the morning warm up. Cause I know I'm going to be there the longest anyway. I, would, I have more stuff than they do. So I know I'm going to be there forever. So I try to get through the warm up faster. When I was at Howe, for some reason, I'd warm up for 50 minutes. <laughs> then I'd look up, oh, I haven't done anything yet. All right. Mm, yeah, the the relaxing days of training at Howe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, the yeah. Yeah, so we need uh it's probably good that your warm up is shorter. Um just being forced into it. Um put yeah. a little bit more urgency, make me makes the heart rate go up a little bit more. Uh yeah, so that's uh that's a thing that I see more and more people getting sucked into is like the long warm ups and they get sucked into it because um you know, because all these PTs or all of these people want more stuff to put out there to be relevant on social media. So you're getting like, you know, bombarded by these things. And then they're like, you should do this if this, this, and this, like, and then you're like, Oh, that checks my box. And then you see somebody else. And it's like, Oh, I have these check boxes too. I should do this drill. I should do this drill. And then before you know it, you're, you know, 30 drills in and, uh, they you're toast by the time university you video come around to uh, snatching. Um, but yeah, keeping it, keeping it simple. Um, eliminating it, limiting your warm up to like 10 minutes, I think is a good call. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's tough cause it's hard to, uh, it's hard to keep those things into perspective. Um, that's, it's almost like that's a harder way to like coach yourself now. Like if somebody's just like starting out and they wanted to like coach themselves, it's probably harder for them now because they're just bombarded with so much like you should do this. And a lot of it's almost opposing, not that they don't work. It's just, you know, two different systems sometimes are just too much. You know, there's too many principles that are not, uh, the, the, yeah, it's like the main principles of things are being overlooked for the details. So like a principle would be like, um, you know, like doing the exercise that you want, uh, the most benefit to first, to get the best training effect. Like that would be a principle. Um, and then you watch on YouTube that, 
you know, this and this person squats first and you're like, oh, I should squat before and after or, you know, but then you don't realize that uh, your squat's 300 kilos and your clean and jerk is 150. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So like you're, you're losing some principles. So like the principles are like those, uh, those broad overarching, like general rules to help you like get things in line. Um, Charles Poliquin had some pretty good principles for like just general strength training. It, uh, it'd be neat to like start to put together some principles for, uh, for weightlifting specific. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, a uh, a lot of crossover. Cause I think Charles got a lot of those from weightlifting, um, in general, just because the Russians and the, and some of the Canadians and stuff were the ones that were actually tracking and doing scientific research on, uh, on strength before everyone else, just because it was a sport and they were trying to win like medals, but like actual, like real, like studies on strength in the United States really haven't taken off until recently. I would say, um, like it's like, uh, it's like a certain generation was like excited about being strong and they were like kind of smart. So they went off to school and they were like, Oh, you know, all I see are these studies about, cardiovascular heart rate stuff and nothing about how to get really strong. And so then, um, you know, now they're doing a little bit more studying. So now they're doing more studies about like strength and then, uh, probably more studies about velocity coming up too, which is kind of neat. Um, cause then, um, the main ones, I guess there's a few around here. So you've got East Tennessee, which is, you know, Dr. Stone. And then you guys, down in West Virginia are kind of doing that. And then you've got, uh, app state. And then you've, then you got Kyle Pierce and he's kind of, they're all kind of pretty closely related. Uh, app states kind of on their, they do things a little differently there. Don't they? Their strength and conditioning. I don't feel like they're in the quite the same. Well, when I think app state that, that there's a lot of people from app state that has that crossover, like LSUS, ETSU, West Virginia, app state, it's like all the same people. They all. Oh, are. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking App State might have been out of that circle a little bit, but I guess not. Uh, I almost went there for graduate school. And then uh, um, I won't say who it was, but I met the professor. Um, well, you know, what? I don't even remember his name. And uh, he had the worst posture like that I had ever seen. And he looked... <laughs> ridiculously weak and i was so unimpressed i was like this dude's not strong like why do i want to come here and train from him um now that i'm like uh, an older adult i can understand that there was probably things that i could have learned from him but when i was a teenager like i saw him well teenager when i was like 20 when i went there to visit i was like you know that was a factor for me yeah. Which is interesting, interesting perspective. And then I went and trained with Glenn. Well, I feel um, like that's <laughs> well. I feel like that's normal. Like people look at, which I found this out yesterday. Did you see uh, Zach Tellender's video about liver cane? Uh, nope. He's making over a million dollars a month on supplements. Let's ignore the liver cane is yes. Let's ignore that his supplements are coming from a needle, but he's selling supplements. And he's making a million dollars a month. So people are buying it just because of how he looks. Oh, he looks big. 
I'll I'll get his powder. I'll I'll try his protein. Okay, that's that's what's what you look like makes a difference when you're trying to sell stuff to people. I like guess it's working for him. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that dude's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, people are buying it because he's crazy too. Um, you know, speaking of people that's used to sell supplements, Pat Mendez, um, You're kidding. Pat Mendez is, uh, Doing like ninety day fiance TV show. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you were gonna yeah, say he was selling supplements too. Yeah, no, my because my no, sister he, watches he the show and didn't know who he was. I'm like, no, this is like the heaviest snatch in the Western Hemisphere ever. That's him. So oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. In, in, in training. Uh, yeah, yeah, in training. It, what in what training. did race? Yeah, I don't know. Fernando snatched more than him in competition. Uh, um, Fernando hit two o. Two. It was two o two or two o three, which is technically the heaviest snatch in the Western Hemisphere. And then Mendez hit that two o seven in training, which doesn't count, but that's the heaviest one that we've seen recorded in the West. Yeah, uh, yeah. It. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It was an impressive, <clears throat> an impressive lift, but it was straps. Um, Fernando's. I mean, so I, we could both say that they were both on drugs. Um, Fernando did it in competition, which is impressive. Yeah. Um, but uh, competition's way more impressive. Yeah. So he's doing that. Uh, so that was kind of a surprising thing. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, good for him. He's he's getting out there and he's probably making some money doing that. But he used to be, sell supplements called uh, comeback supplements, uh, and. I don't know if I ever had them, but they, I think he made a decent amount on there and he was a salesman and he was taking drugs. So, I mean, like people weren't buying it. They, they were buying it thinking that they were going to be, you know, like Pat Mendes and that's what he takes to get strong. Yeah. And wasn't um, he doing a 600 squat, a 600 pound squat every day for like a year? So how long was it? Six months? He did it for a while. I don't know how long it was, but he yeah. did it for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, I don't remember the uh, what's the name of the book the the sport of steroids, mm-hmm. yeah, um, by the Philadelphia barbell guy. Uh, let me just find the name of the. That one was a. Uh, that was a pretty good book about right? Pat. Yeah, yeah, but it was a it was a whole interview by Jim Rutter. Um. Still, a, still a good book. Um, and then maybe read that book, and then go watch uh, Ninety Day Fiance, and you have some, uh, you have some reference there. Uh, That's wild. I don't know how we got onto that subject. Um, <laughs> but he didn't stretch. He did. He didn't static stretch either. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pretty sure John Bros did not believe in static stretching. Um, I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't believe in static stretching. He may have changed his tune a little bit later, but who knows? I remember being in high school, and this is back during I was just doing bodybuilding stuff and just wanted to get massive with my friends. And then after we would do two hours of chest or whatever it was, and you you feel really tight, it's like, great, guys, we can't stretch. We have to stay really tight. That way we just look really big. I remember that. That was, hey, that's high school thinking. That's what it was. Like, oh, man. 50 push-ups before you go to the pool. 
Whoa, wait, hey, I, this is so bad. Uh, my old roommate Dylan, we would we would definitely do the pushes before we went to the pool, and then we're there all day. We're like, hey man, we're starting to look flat. Let's let's go to the bathroom, hit some more pushups, come back out. <laughs> bathroom. <laughs> hey, oh boy, that's what you did it. Uh, you had to look big. So you did pushups before the bus stop too. Come on, like you gotta look big. This is why coaches are important in strength. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, it was a hundred push-ups before the bus stop every day. Like you did the hundred push-ups, then you put the t-shirt on and walk to the bus stop. Looking big hey, every day. Yeah. You know what? I'm not I'm not gonna say that's bad. That's probably actually good. Uh <laughs> but you know, you know, just doing push-ups. But uh maybe not in the bathroom. Uh <laughs> oh yeah, no, the, that, that was the thing. Oh yeah, well, we're going to the pool. All right, let's let's go and get these push-ups in first. You need the guidance to know that you don't want to be tight. You need to be able to do those push-ups and be flexible. And to do your static stretching after the pump has worn off. Um, <laughs> to be 12. To be 12 again. <laughs> um, there was a yep. bunch of dumb things we did. And granted, though, that was when we were 12. Somebody asked me about my jerk the other day. Because um, my jerk's... I'm, I'm realizing my jerk's weirder and weirder the more that people see it. But they were talking about my foot placement. Like, oh, your feet are really weird in your jerk. And he's 19. Um, he power cleans 140. Like, he's just raw strong, but his best clean jerk's 125. It's just he hasn't put his jerk with it yet. So he's getting significantly better. And he just asked me, how did I learn that? Why did I start doing it that way? And it was back when me and Jamie used to just experiment with stuff with weightlifting. And I was watching the 2015 World Championships and saw the North Koreans widen their feet before they would jerk. I'm like, oh, let me try that. And I liked it, and I've been doing it ever since, so that's why my feet are so wide when I jerk. But he said, what else did you try? And then I told him about all the stupid things that we used to do because before we had somebody with us lifting to where Jamie would, would record every single lift that we would do in a day. And then we'd go back and watch them all. And then if we had a good snatch rep at like 80 kilos – We'd look at it. He said, hey, I remember. He said, did you see that rep that you just did? It was really good. We looked at the video and my feet were slightly like off. So then the next few reps, like, all right, make your feet off again. You might be getting more power output from one leg. So that's what we need to do. Stagger your feet on your start. Like we did a bunch of stupid stuff that made no sense. But since we didn't know any better, we just tried things. <laughs> and so I was like, you, you notice my feet and my jerk now because it works. You didn't see all of the stupid stuff that we did because we didn't know better and we were just trying things. We were snatching with uneven feet because we had one good rep, not realizing it wasn't because of the feet. It was because I actually like got to my hip. I didn't realize that was what I did right. It was, oh, my feet were uneven. Let's do that every time. So we did a bunch of stupid stuff in weightlifting too before we had somebody look at our lifts all the time. Yeah. So one, you're developing some inquisitive nature, which is which is good, I guess. Um, but then two is if you just had somebody to guide you, you could have gotten better a lot faster and skipped yeah. a lot of that stuff. Um, I'm glad I did it. Watching Klokov snatch with a crooked foot position. Right. Um, glad we did it, but it, it wasn't the best way. But found out a lot of things that worked and a lot of things that didn't. And we we learned a lot from weightlifting because we just we watched so many videos. We were watching so much stuff. At any video that MASH put out, CalStrength put out, anybody put out a video – we were going to watch every second of it. And then we would just try to see 
what was the same. So cool. You have the Europeans with this drastic stomp and then the Chinese aren't. It's like, ah, so which one do we do? And then Don McCauley was like, oh, no, it's it's the knee. It's just the flexion of the knee. That's the only thing that matters. It's not whether they're up here or whether they're doing this. The only thing that matters was the flexion in the knee to give the hips room to drop. We're like, oh, okay. And then we just started seeing what is the one thing that's the same between the Chinese and the Europeans? And what did the Colombians do? Why was that similar to this? It, it was interesting because since we had no clue, we looked at everything. Yeah, I was going to say, it's very overwhelming, though, because I remember um, when I first started, I didn't have a coach either, and I tried to do the same thing. But mm-hmm. every single coach at some point has a, has a different technical models, so they don't really translate as much as you think they do. So you might find that one thing that looks the same, but it's really not because another part of the lift is a little bit different. Right. And um, it honestly set me back because it was too much information, and I didn't know how to actually process it, and I didn't realize that everyone taught things a little bit differently. Um, I, I used to purposely look for coaches that were saying different things. Um, and, and you're right. Cause like, while you're emphasizing this, you're ignoring the other part, which is why that different style is working. Um, but I would purposely watch videos of coaches that are saying different things. And that was when Sean Waxman used to say wild stuff too. So I would just listen to what they said, listen to him say that everything Mass just said was wrong. And I'm like, well, how, and then I would just try to find the one thing that was similar. I'm like, okay, well, then this must be the key. This must be what's right because they're doing different things, but this is carrying over. It, it, it helped. You, you could have just got a coach, though, and then fit their yeah. technical model. <laughs> yes, you could have uh, saved yourself all the confusion and the heartache. Yes. And it's, yeah. I wish that I would have went to James earlier. Um, and when I was talking to this kid about this, because he said that he wishes that he – started weightlifting earlier and that he didn't do all the other stuff. And everybody says that at one point. And I told him, yeah, I'm sure you do wish that you started weightlifting earlier and you wouldn't have come in here with a 140 power clean because everything you did in your past, you wouldn't have done. You would have been doing something different. So your clean might look beautiful, but you might be power cleaning 120 instead of 140. He's like, well, no, no, no. I'd want to keep that. Like, I'm I'm sure you would want to keep that. But if you change what you did in the past, you're going to change where you're at now. So while I do wish I went to James earlier, I'm kind of glad that I did a bunch of stupid stuff for a couple of years. There's no such thing as what could have been. True. Yeah, that was yep. that was interesting talking to him because it was just and then he started talking about the Chinese. He's like, well, they started at a young age. I'm like, yeah, but there's also like bad things about that, too. Like, if you want to be a great weightlifter, there are people that have been on world teams since they were. 14 make youth worlds junior worlds and then they're 24 and then they're like ah, i don't they're not at the same place as their friend there was a weightlifter who did a he did a podcast about that the other day he's like yeah i'm 25 i live in my parents basement i've never had a real job and i never went to school but he's a great weightlifter i mean he he really is a great weightlifter what are you willing to sacrifice for it and he was like, oh, well, I would want to keep everything I have now, but I just wish I did that. I'm like, yeah, you can't get it that way. That's not that's not how it goes. Don't be putting limits on people, Tyree. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think uh, I think that's a good uh, good spot to end today's podcast. 
Um, so uh, where where can people find you, uh, George? Where can they find you? Uh, George eighty one kg on Instagram. We're at the House of Weightlifting page. And Tyree. Tyree underscore Thor on Instagram. And uh, if you guys are listening to this podcast on uh, the 14th, check out my Instagram later today. I'm hopefully going to have a nice post for Andrew. He's going to do 100 burpees today for a lift I'm going to hit. So make sure you check that out and watch his 100 burpees tonight. Yeah, Andrew Andrew on the team. You guys made a bet. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to have to go to, uh, I guess, your story to find out what that is. Yep. All right, and uh, check us out at houseofweightlifting.com. And if anyone has any um, written-out principles for weightlifting, like we were talking about, let me know. Let me know what you guys got, because I, uh, I think I have to go look back through my books and I have to find the old Poliquin principles, but it might be nice to start um, getting together a list of principles specific for weightlifting. So that's it. Uh, George. Yeah, one more thing. If you're on the team, send some videos over to the How Instagram so we can get so we can put them up on the page. Yep. I like it. All right, talk to you guys next time.